What we've seen, for those of you who have been here uh, in the series the last two months, is that the author is talking about the deity of Jesus Christ and his superiority to angels. And in the course of trying to convince these Hebrew Christians who are thinking about going back to their Judaism and forsaking Christianity, as a way of trying to emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ to them, he's arguing that Jesus is superior to the angels. Now he has to answer some questions if you're going to maintain that. One of the questions is, if Jesus is superior to the angels, why is he a human being? Another question that we're going to be dealing with this morning is this. If Jesus is superior to the angels, then why did he die? If Jesus is God, how come he has flesh? And if Jesus is God, how come he died? And in the course of answering this question, the author is going to probe into some of the most profound mysteries of the Christian faith. And that's what we're going to be dealing with here in the future. We'll just get it started here this morning. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 2. The author has been saying that the destiny of human beings is to reign as kings upon the earth. We are made to be God's viceroys down here on earth. But we don't now see that. We're supposed to have everything subjected to us. We're supposed to reign as kings. But as it is now because of the fall, because of our rebellion, because things got screwed up, we now don't see everything subjected to us. What we do see, however, verse 9 says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, a little lower than the angels, or perhaps was made for a little while lower than the angels, but he is now crowned with glory and honor. In verse 7 of, of the same chapter, it says that all human beings were crowned with glory and honor. That was our dignity as kings of the earth. But we lost that. But we do see Jesus now being what we are to become. He is now crowned with glory and honor. How he got crowned with glory and honor is this. Because he suffered, it says here in verse 9, he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Consider that metaphor for a second. He tastes death. What does death taste like? And then it says in verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, the result of his death is that now he's got children that will be glorified the way they're supposed to be glorified from the start. He'll bring many sons to glory, and in doing that, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, he made him a fitting Savior by having him die on the cross. If you look down in verse 14, if you have your Bibles open, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, since these children that God is trying to restore to the place where they're supposed to be in, in the kingdom of God, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, became a human being so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. We'll be getting to that in December, and free those who all their lives were held into slavery, held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus died to destroy death. He tasted death so that we don't need to. That's what I want to reflect on here for a little bit. Let's pray. Lord, let your power be upon us, Lord. Let the anointing be here, Lord. Let your spirit flow throughout this congregation, God. I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to hear what is said. I pray, Lord God, that you would focus our minds, focus my mind here. Help me, Lord God, first of all, Lord, heal this chest cold here, and, and, and then, Lord, help me to focus through it, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to focus on you. 
to get out of this celebration what we're supposed to get out of it here this morning. Baptize us in your love. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. On um, Saturday morning, I woke up, got out of bed, and made a, gave a very loud grunt. Um, my ankles were killing me. I was walking like this. My knees were killing me. My back was killing me. I was sore all over. It wasn't because I had the flu. Because on Friday night, a lady in our church had invited the pastors out to a party. A family party that she was having at a, at a golf club. I had a golf course, not a golf club. Here, let's gather on the golf club. At a golf club house or something, I don't know. And uh, we'll meet you at the golf club. And uh, they were playing 70s and 80s music. And um, this lady's pastors ripped up the joint. We were dynamite. We had a lot of fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, you you got to know that you've got a boogieing leadership here at Woodland Hills Church, all right? And, and we really got down. Um, I mean, you should... Mary, don't you leave. Mary Van Sickle. C- come out here and do the Macarena for us, uh, Mary. Come on. <laughs> you should have seen her. Dun, da, da, dun, da, 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 ah, Macarena, how they do that, you know. <laughs> Woo! Here's Mary, you know, out there. She was going. She was going good. And, uh, oh, we were just having a blast. Uh, you know, uh, me and Norm were out there doing the old 70s, you know, that's the way, uh, 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 you know. And we were just getting down. It was just wild. Barry Joss. You know, first of all, he's wearing this polyester suit. You know, his hair comb forward. Total geekville, you know. Doing his John Travolta, you know. Um, and on Macho Man, he, started, he, he unbuttons his shirt halfway, you know. Macho Man, he's out there doing a Macho Man. It was hilarious. And I did one too many dips or something, you know, where you go down and you're up like this and turn to the splits and... Felt good at the time, um, but I paid for it the next morning. I mean, first of all, driving home, I think it was you, Cheryl, that said in the back of the car, I feel so old. Midnight strikes, and we're zombies. You know, it's like, it's bedtime. Somebody put us to bed. Uh, we just wore out of gas. I mean, we were really going at hard. I was drenched in sweat. But driving home, fatigue sets in. We all feel like we're about 94, and the next morning, I have trouble walking. Now, here's the thing that gets me. I used to do that all the time when I was a kid, and I never felt like this. Never felt like this. See, this is the taste of death. This is, <laughs> this is not supposed to be. This is not supposed to be. Um, I used to go most of the night, go to bed for an hour, get up and go to work. Never thought twice about it. Now, 12 o'clock, it's night-night time, and next day I can't walk. I don't know about you, but I never think, all you college kids are sitting there, oh, that'll never happen to me. Well, you wait, you wait, it'll happen. <laughs> I, I, never, I never think of myself as getting old. I, I think of other people getting old. You know, you think, like, the person's really aging there. But I don't think of myself as getting old. I don't even think of myself as being particularly mature. I mean, I just... <laughs> but other people get old, I don't. But I do notice that the football players on TV get younger and younger. You notice that? And the Bethel students get younger and younger. But I stay the same age, at least that's what I think, and then all of a sudden something happens like this Macarena thing, and, and I all of a sudden feel the reality that my body ain't the way it used to be. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you, and, you, and you discover that. It was about a couple months ago, I went to Shelly and I said, what are these two lines here? 
She goes, well, they've been there for a couple of years. I never noticed them. I've got two lines, and I can't stretch them away. <laughs> you think there would be a posture you could assume that would make them go away, but there's not. They're there. They're permanent. Right there. See those things? Crevices. i got Grand Canyons on my forehead. And that's getting a little bald over here. This is what's called aging. It's called middle age. It's the aging process. It's not particularly fun to go through. It just, it almost seems sometimes kind of unreal. It all of a sudden catches up to you. All of a sudden you realize that you didn't used to have this. You didn't used to have this. You used to have more of this. And uh, things are changing. Your body can't take what it, what, it, what it used to go through. And then people try to do weird things to try to stay off this process, this aging process, this taste of death. They had a whole series this last week on Good Morning America, I think it was, or I forget where I watched it. See, that's another thing. I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> but there's this thing on, on, on 50-year-olds, the, the beginning of the, the boomer generation and how they're handling aging. And they're getting liposuction, you know, they're getting fat sucked out of their guts and sucked out of their rears and fat put into their, their, their faces to make them look fuller. And plastic, $11 billion worth of plastic surgery going on, about 25% of it's men. That's a new thing. Guys are starting to worry about that. They're working out like never before. They're popping pills like never before. They're doing, you know, all sorts of health things like never before, trying to stay off this uh, aging process. I started hitting the weights last year, just trying to do something. People say, you're trying to get big. And I said, no, I'm just trying to stay off the rate of decay. I just don't. The reality is that you turn 22 or 23 or 24, whatever that magical age is, and you start going downhill, physically speaking. This isn't going to be a happy sermon this morning. <laughs> it's true, you start losing more cells than you produce. You know that? Wherever you go, you're going to leave cells. You're like a snake. You're just slow. You're a bunch of flakes. That's what you are. You're flaking. You're in the process of dying. And it may seem kind of vain, you know, kind of, kind of arrogant to be trying to make your body look like it was when you were 20 years old or whatever. Maybe that seems kind of a vain thing, you know, you're trying to make yourself look good and trying to not look your age or whatever. But on the other hand, think about this. I wonder if maybe a lot of it in our culture is vanity. But isn't there also something inside of us that says that this should not be happening to us? <laughs> Can't amen there. I mean, maybe one of the reasons why we want to fight this is because there's something inside of us that says this is not a natural thing that we're going through here. Now, we say aging is natural, death is natural, it's just part of the world, death is part of life, all that kind of stuff. And that is true. That is true. You got to come to peace with it. Don't, you know, you can't fight this for too long. Death is the ultimate predator, stalking us all. Time is the fire in which we all burn. You know those little fun sayings we have? You've got to accept that, but it's true of this world, but this world is not the original world. This is a fallen world. That's what we've been getting at in Hebrews chapter 2. And there's something inside of us that says this. We were meant to be kings. We, we were meant to be better than this. Uh, this. We were supposed to be lords over this. Instead, it is lording over us. We were supposed to be able to control our bodies. Instead, our bodies continually control us. Something has gone wrong. Something is jaded. Something's out of joint here. You're not supposed to wake up from the night of dancing and be sore. That's a foreign thing and that's unnatural. But we have fallen. The world's in a state of decay. And so we're subject to things that we were never supposed to be subject to. It's the taste of death. And it's a bitter tasting sort of thing. And then we die. It always, as a kid, I was always fascinated with death. I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe I'm just particularly morbid, morbid or jaded or whatever. But, but I can look around at this, this, uh, 
there's this congregation here, and the only thing I know for sure, unless the Lord comes back here in short order, but it's that we shall all die. It's certain. The certainty of death. Even as a kid. Maybe it's because my mom died when I was very, very young. But it's always impressed me that it's so certain. We shall all die. I shall die. I shall cease to be physically. There's something fascinating in a morbid kind of way about the finality of death. Those of you who have experienced this, and most of us here this, this morning, I bet, have. We've lost a loved one. Isn't C.S. Lewis largely right, at least, when he talks about the unnatural, surrealistic quality of death? When a person dies, there's something that says, this can't be happening. This, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, this is not real. I can't get you back. There's a finality to it. There's a, there's a gulf that has just been created, and we cannot bridge it. C.S. Lewis says this in his, in his book, A Grief Observed, after his wife died. He said, it all of a sudden struck me that no matter what I did, no matter where I looked, I could look on every planet in the universe. I will not find my wife. She is now gone from me. I can't get her back. You can't resuscitate. Once you've crossed that gulf, the finality of it. It's just profound, but it's profoundly unnatural. And there's something inside of us that says, this should never be. We were meant for better than this. There's something ignoble about death. When you think about the ugliness of death, what happens to us when we die? We in our culture do not like to talk about this. We like to use nice terms like passed on or he's no longer with us. I knew a family one time who lost their daughter. The doctor came in and, and, and said, well, we were not able to get her off the table. And they said, okay, well, get some help then. And, and, and what the doctor was saying, though they can't bring themselves to say it, is that she died on us. But we use nice terms. But the reality is, think about it. Now let's, let's, let's get into it. Have you ever read uh, Shelley's Frankenstein? There's a description there about the, the dying process as this person's doing research on death that is just great. If you want to know the reality of it. We decay. You think your body's wearing down now. Just wait till you die. And then we end up six feet below the ground. And then there's all sorts of natural, natural, natural fallen processes that go on that return us to dust. And it is not pretty. It does not smell nice. It does not look nice. And there's something in our gut that says, we should have a better end than this. This is not natural. This is not what should be happening. This is the taste of death. Not only that, but that's not even the worst part of the taste of death. The bitterest part of the taste of death is this. While we're waiting to die, as our bodies are decaying, the worst part of the taste of death is that it sometimes feels like we never get around to living. We keep on waiting for it to happen in the future. Or we keep on looking back to what we thought happened in the past, and we never get around to living now. We all fight this, if we're honest with ourselves, Christian or not, you fight this. It feels sometimes like you're on a treadmill. Like you're just going nowhere, like you're just taking up space. You ever just feel like a total blob? You have blob days where you're just there, you just take up space, you go to work, you come home, you're tired, you go to bed, you get up, you go to work, and the routine is the repetition of the whole thing. The sense of futility, that's the hardest part about the taste of death. And if this life is all there is, then the truth of the matter is, is that when the grim reaper comes, that all, that's all there is to be said about it. Nothing you've done, nothing you've accomplished has amounted to a hill of beans. The world's no better off for you having been here. That's the bitterest pill of the taste of death. Sometimes life can be so sorrowful. Life can be so hard. Life can be so miserable. Life can seem so futile. It can seem so empty that death actually seems like a welcomed event. That's the taste of death. 
That's the taste of death. And we in our culture run from it. We try to hide it. We try to put it off. We try to stay it off. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. It's not politically correct. It's not nice. It's not even tactful to talk about it, let alone preach about it. But there it is. That's the reality of it. That's the taste of death. Now, the good news that we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 2. The good news is that, as a matter of fact, we were created for and destined for a better place than that, a higher calling than that. And the good news is that Jesus Christ has entered into our death zone to free us from the tyranny of death. The reason why we die, the reason why we die physically, the reason why sometimes our lives are like death, we never get around to living, the reason why our bodies wear down and decay and there's sickness and disease and chest colds going on all over the place is because we are separated from God and God is the author of life. Whatever is separated from God begins to die. And the day that you eat of it, he says in Genesis chapter 3, you shall surely die. And Jesus Christ came into our death zone to reconnect us with the author of life, to begin to turn back the process of decay that we are a part of. Jesus Christ came to earth to die. There's a lot of other things he did in his ministry, but his primary purpose for coming was to die. He did miracles, that was great. He healed people, that was great. He delivered people from demons, that was great. He gave great teachings, that was great. But God could have done all those things without becoming a man. What God couldn't do without becoming a man was enter into death. And so God takes upon himself human flesh, in order to dive headfirst into the taste of death. He tasted death for every person that lives. Jesus Christ is the one person in history that did not have to die, but he chose to anyways. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father even to the point of death. None of us obey to the point of death. We die whether we're obedient or not. It's going to happen to us. We're already in the process of doing that. But Jesus Christ chose it. Because of his love, because of his desire to reconnect us with his life, he died for us. There's two things that separate us from God. One is our own sin. God is all holy. Sin separates us from God. The second thing is the power of Satan. We're in bondage to Satan. Because we sin, we become slaves to Satan. Satan is the Lord of death. He is, the Greek word called him apolumi. He is the Lord of destruction, the destroyer, it calls him in Revelations chapter 9. Whatever is subject to him will be in the process of being destroyed. That's why this entire world's in the process of being destroyed. That's why there's the second law of thermodynamics. That's why everything runs down. That's why our knees begin to ache. That's why our bodies begin to decay. But Jesus Christ came down to earth to free us from sin and to free us from the destroyer, the evil one. And by dying... He defeats death. Now, I'm not going to hear this morning go into how that happens. That will be in December. But what we need to know here this morning is that it happens. His death frees us from our sin. It makes us perfectly compatible with God, the author of life. So now his life can flow into us. And secondly, it gets the devil off our back. It destroys the devil. Colossians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 said that when he died on the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers and made an open mockery of them. And so now the reality of the situation is this. All of us who yet live under the conditions of this dead world, this dying world, can begin to enjoy the life of God. Three things here that it means for us. And I want us to think about these as we're, as we're entering into communion here. Number one, it means that for the believer, 
There need be no longer any fear of death. We are yet under the conditions of death. The kingdom of God has not yet fully come. It is a mustard seed that is in the process of growing. In my life individually and in the world throughout uh, the globe, the kingdom of God is a, is a growing thing. It's not fully manifested yet. So we still die, our bodies still decay, and we sometimes still get sick. But the meaning of death has altogether changed because of Jesus' death. Because here, the tyranny of Satan was broken and he rose from the dead. And, the, and the, the promise of Scripture is this, that when we cling to Him, when we enter into a covenantal relationship with Him, we also shall rise from the dead. So death, the finality of death, is now vanquished. The fact that we shall die is still there. But the finality of death, the tragic nature of death, the bitterness of death, the sting of death that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that is now gone. It is no longer. And so believers need fear death no more. Death for the believer... It's not that it's a pleasant thing. It's not that it's a joyful thing. You still are separated from loved ones. That still hurts. There's still this unnatural nature to it. We're not going to sugarcoat death. But on the other hand, for the believer who knows who they are in Christ, who's got their head on straight on this sort of thing, death becomes simply a transformation, a kingdom transference, a graduation or a promotion, if you will. It's no longer something that needs to be dreaded. So the Bible says here that... By dying, Christ set free all those who all their lives had been held in the tyranny of death, in the fear of death. We need fear death no longer. Aren't there days where you actually can look forward to it? I mean, I love life. I love life. But there are times, isn't it, when life is a veil of tears? And, and, and there's actually kind of an excitement about that adventure. I used to, as a kid, I was always obsessed with death, always afraid of death. Maybe, maybe it's because my mom died. I don't know. But I always thought about it. When I became a believer, the first thing that happened to me was I lost that fear of death. That, that it's not, you know the whole story now. You know it's a door that you walk through. You know, you know that this world is, as C.S. Lewis said, a shadow land. We haven't even begun to exist yet. We haven't really begun to live yet. Death is the door through which you walk where you enter into the place that God has really all along had in store for us. The second thing is this. The kingdom of God is a mustard seed that's growing. We still live under the dominion of, of death and sickness. But know this. Because of the Lord's death, he now is breaking the tyranny of death, including the tyranny of the process of death. And the Lord loves to display among his people a kingdom power by healing them. The Bible tells us that one of the things that is available for believers because of the cross of Calvary is that we can be healed. When we put our trust in the Lord, there's healing there. The Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. The Bible says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, shall heal the sick. And so because of the cross, we need to, as believers, take hold of this by faith, and that is that we can be healed of our sicknesses and healed of our diseases. It's a temporary thing because we all ultimately die if the Lord doesn't come back. But the Lord loves to display his power in the meantime as that, king, as that mustard seed continues to grow. And the third thing we need to know about the cross, about his tasting death, is this. He tasted death. And this is, I think, the most important thing. He tasted death so that we can begin to taste life now. It's not just in the kingdom of God, when the kingdom is fully manifested, that we're going to live. The Lord wants us to live now. Amen? He died that we could be reconnected to the source of life. God is the source of life. When we are reconciled with God... Through faith in Jesus Christ, God begins to pour his life into us. It's called the Holy Spirit. He pours his Holy Spirit into us. God's life. 
See, the bitterest part of this taste of death, as I said, is the fact that sometimes we don't feel like we're living now. You're just going through the motions. You feel like a walking zombie. The emotional centers isn't connected. There's nothing that really seems worth living for. Sometimes it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. But see, when you get connected to, to God through the power of Jesus Christ, and He pours His Holy Spirit into you, then you begin to experience what it is to really be alive. The taste of death gets lifted off of your back. You don't know what it is to really be alive until you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and experienced His life coming on the inside of you. God's life is a passionate life. God's life is what the Bible calls Zoe life. It's abundant life. It's joyful life. It's eternal life. It's fearless life. It's conquering life. It's peaceful life. God's life defines what life is. And to the believer, we've got to know this. Not just in heaven, but now, God wants us to live. Death, far from being this final grim reaper that, that's there to plague us all of our life, what it should be to the believer is this, a reminder of how precious life is. A reminder that now is the time to live. Today's the day to begin to live out God's life. Get the taste of death off of your back in terms of your marriage. Quit going through the motions and start loving. Get the taste of death off your back in terms of your kids. Quit going through the motions and start pouring your life into those kids. Get the taste of death off your back in terms of the rut of religion that you're involved in, in terms of the rut of routine with your employment, in terms of the, just the treadmill of life that you're going on. And start living life, the life that God wants you to have. Start letting the Holy Spirit lead you and direct you and empower you to get involved in other people's lives, to take on ministries to yourself, to begin to make a difference in the world, begin to pour your life out like Jesus Christ did. That is life. When you begin to do that, you find that the taste of death begins to vanish. Now is the time to live. If you're going to dance on a Friday night, then for goodness sakes, dance. And pour your gut into it. God wants his people. See, if there's ever, you know, you look at the world. The world's got to get drunk to have a good time. But see, to Christians, it should come just naturally. Amen. Amen. When you worship the Lord, when we take communion here, let's take it passionately. We may be dead tonight. You don't know. I look out here. How many of us are going to be here next year? How many people are going to be dead next year? Raise your hand. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't know. The clock is ticking. Now's the time to live. Let's get the taste of death off us by focusing on Jesus Christ, letting him pour his life into us. We're going to celebrate communion here. You know what? This is a celebration of communion. This isn't a morbid funeral service for a Savior that's still on the cross. If he was still on the cross, he wouldn't be our Savior. We are here to celebrate. He tasted death. And sometimes we get in this, you know, morbid, wicked me, I did it, you know, and, and that's true. <laughs> but he doesn't want us to be sitting here being morbid about this. The Bible says, for the joy, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the sufferings of the cross. He looked at you, he looked at me, and he said, I consider it a joy to taste death. And so he did. And so we are to sit here and reflect upon the fact that he died for us. But why that's meaningful is because of what it accomplished for us. He tasted death for all of us, that now we don't need to fear death. Now healing is available, and now we can begin to live, and live with passion, the passion of God's life living through us.